Have any of you heard the name of Pliny the Elder? A history buff. Well, if you don't, that's understandable because he died in the year 116. But Pliny was a renowned author, and he wrote a very famous book entitled The History of Nature, in which he described the mustard tree, which grows from the tiniest seed and is extraordinarily hardy and grows so rapidly that if unattended, it will cover a vast area. And not only that, if you try to destroy the mustard tree, it will spring up and grow again. So what a wonderful image that the Lord gives us about the mustard tree, starting from the very smallest beginnings of the church which happened to be 12, 12 apostles who were rather a motley group. They were uneducated. They were not uh, born executives or natural leaders. In fact, uh, if it were up to us, we could have selected far better candidates. But there they were. Incredibly, these people were entrusted with the conversion of the world. <laughs> but those are the 12 that Jesus chose. And these 12 men <coughs> were passionately, passionately committed to Christ and to bring the teaching and the news, good news of Christ to the world. And of course they all became saints and all except one, St. John, were martyred. There are many great leaders in history. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Constantine, Napoleon. And they had such charism as leaders that their, their soldiers, their men, would follow them into battle and follow them him, them willingly to give their lives. But today, no person, no sane person, would give one's life for Julius Caesar. But not so with Christ. Because Christ lives. He lives in the church. He lives in us. And to this day, millions of people would give their life for Christ. Now the sycamore tree rather the, the uh, mustard tree is exposed to all kind of elements blight drought disease lightning strikes vandalism all of which pertain also to the church. When John Paul initiated the Second Vatican Council, he said, let's open the shutters of the church and let the fresh air come in. And a lot of bugs came in too. 
we think of all of the difficulties and problems that we have in the church. And, you know, the recent one which caused so terrible scandal and so much pain to the faithful and to us priests also, the clergy abuse scandal, which echoes, we still have some echoes of that today. Very, very difficult. Benedict XVI said, filth has come into the church. It must be cleaned out. And so the church, people of God, are affected by all of that. No. But still the church continues. Terrible stain upon the church and upon the priesthood, too. Time magazine at the time of this was in, in, in the front page all the time. Time magazine said this is the beginning of the demise of the Catholic Church in America. And something else I read about four months ago. As a journalist, I can't remember who it was or where I read it, but he said because of secularism creeping into Europe, which is always the bastion of Christianity. In fact, not only creeping into Europe, it is very solidly settled in Europe and creeping into the United States. The journalist said, this will be the last century of, that Christianity will be a major force in the world. In fact, he said, it will be a steady decline, and by the end of the century, Christianity might simply disappear. And I suppose he would be looking at, uh, let's say, let's take an example of France. Today in France, 6% of French Catholics go to Mass on Sunday. In Paris, it's 4%. And uh, I have friends in Paris, and people in Paris are all upset now because the Muslims are buying up the empty churches. <laughs> But at least the Muslims are going to turn the church into a house of prayer, whereas these cultural Catholics, maybe they'll go on Christmas and Easter, but more likely, <coughs> not even at that time. They now call themselves not religious, but spiritual. Not exactly sure what that means, but it's probably a subterfuge for not doing anything. So or believing in anything. They are what we now call the knowns. You didn't even seen that, N-O-N-E-S. Well, I don't want to be too harsh on the French. I'm a Francophile myself, and there are pockets in, in France. <coughs> Tremendous vitality. Young people, too. Even in Paris, at the Church of Saint-Gervais, the liturgy lasts at least an hour and a half. I would say the average age, early 30s. And you better get there early, or you're not going to get a place in the church. Well, there is crises in the church. <coughs> but no historian will ever leave the church because of crises. Might leave for some other reason. But the historian knows that there is a crisis in every age of church history. If you don't have persecution, you might have weak leadership. If you don't have weak leadership, you might have ignorance among the laity and the clergy. If you don't have that, you might have, uh, 
oh my goodness, there's so many things that could go wrong. You see, with this, and they might have scandals, certainly. You might have laxity among the laity and the clergy also. And yet, of course, uh, the church continues. Dysfunctional sometimes, as every institution is, there's dysfunctional families are sometimes dysfunctional also. But there's something in the church that the other institutions have. Wall Street does not have what the church has, namely the Holy Spirit, which is the glue that holds it all together. Notwithstanding what Jesus said, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And you know, crises is not necessarily a bad thing because if we come into contact with conflict and, and complexities and negativity, confusion, it causes us to take a new look about what we believe in. And sometimes, more committed than ever, we would opt for what we believe in. Some people might opt out, of course. But if that's the case, then I would say crises can be a, a valuable, if not a painful, experience. Same thing with families. When you have crises in the family, so often the family members pull together and the family becomes stronger than it ever was before. So. You know, there's a wonderful two words Two Latin words from the Middle Ages describing the church. Semper reformanda, which means always in the process of being reformed. Exactly. There is that divine ingredient in the church that Christ posited that allows the church always to rise up again and to be renewed. And you know this, uh, this writer who is talking about secularization of Europe failed to mention that the church in Africa is growing by leaps and bounds. And you have priests from Uganda and Nigeria ministering now in Ireland, of all places. <laughs> and in the Philippines. Philippine, Philippines, the only Asian only Catholic country in Asia, but 84% Catholic. Filipino priests are all over the world. And Myanmar, formerly Burma, I was there about three years ago, and at the bishop's house they were telling me they have so many priests, they farm them out places in Oceania and Southeast Asia. So, no, the church is, is not dead by any means. Otherwise you would not be here. Semper reformanda. Don't put too much stock in these prophets of doom. If a, if a survey were taken in Rome at the time of the apostles regarding religious preference, the results would be this. 30, no, 60% for Jupiter. 
30% for Zeus, 9% for Mithra, 1% for Jesus. And Paul and the other apostles could look at those figures and say to one another, brothers, there's no future here. Let's pack up our tents and our fishing nets and go home. But they didn't. They stayed. And they made all the difference. Believe me, if Peter's bark was sinkable, it would have sunk a long time ago.